Romans chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading um, in verse 1. We cover verses 1 through 5. The word of the Lord. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The word of the Lord. Want to say we do have one last of the Romans journals are in the back. You can, you can have one if you want one. You can order them on Amazon, or we can get you more of these as well if you want to use those. But last week uh, we had talked about and looked a little bit at one of the most famous Bible verses that almost everybody in the world, at least English-speaking world, knows, and it's John three sixteen. And they might not know what John three sixteen is, but they know. John 3.16, but many people know and could quote, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So this week, I think we're going to, we're going to look at what I believe to be the most well-known and most quoted verse of the Bible, which is, Judge not. And it just kind of ends there. Uh, most people who would quote that to Christians... Um, Probably couldn't tell you where it was. They don't know it as well. Like, you know, junk, they don't have, you know, Matthew 7 1 on their hats. They just might have something like, judge not. And what they mean when uh, the world quotes, it's always great when Satan quotes scripture to um, the church. Uh, so when the world quotes scripture to the church, the idea being that it is to be used to their advantage, like a lawyer um, looking for loopholes in the Bible. Um, the idea being, you can't tell me anything I do is wrong because the Bible tells you, judge not. You can't tell me I'm a sinner because the Bible says, judge not. You can't pass any kind of judgment on anybody because the Bible tells you, judge not. And so what we need to do as believers is be able to go, hey, I need to look that up. And as good Christians, what we're going to do when we look it up is like, is there more to that sentence? Is that sentence in a paragraph? Is that paragraph in a section? Is that section in a book of the Bible? Is not that book of the Bible in the entire Bible? So we have to kind of say to ourselves it's like, I need to do a study on this thing. Or you just are the kind of person that goes, eh. And you go on about your business. I don't believe the Holy Spirit calls us to that. I think that we're supposed to have an answer for those who um, say such things to us. For surely we want to be obedient to the Lord. I believe this also, if it isn't given a good answer, it could lead people to believe that not only should you not judge anybody or anything, but therefore God himself would never judge Anybody, particularly me. I mean, why would, if God tells you not to judge, then surely He's not going to judge, and we're all going to be cool, and everybody just needs to chill. That's the way sinners talk in my world. Um, so we need to look at this. And that's what 
part of what Paul is talking about today. But we have to go back a little bit to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, because what he says here, and I'll read it with you. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And of course, this insinuates those who do not believe there's no salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it, in the gospel of God, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So the way you get life is through the gospel. Living by faith can have a couple of meanings. It can mean the way you live your life is you, you live it by faith. You try to do things out of your faith. But it also is meaning you're not going to experience a second death. You are going to have life. And the way you have life rather than death, the way you have escaped from death to life is by your faith in Jesus Christ, which is the righteousness of God in you, which has been revealed for faith. And so it's about faith from beginning to end. In verse 18, we see this again in chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. So if you notice in verse 17, the righteousness of God is revealed for faith. And that word revealed, we said was that word apocalypto, which is the word for revelation. So, you know, somebody would say it's an apocalyptic event. There's the apocalypse. It's like the end of the world. But it means an unveiling, a manifestation of something that Jesus Christ has been manifest in this world. The righteousness of God has now been manifest into this world. And here, verse 18, the wrath of God has been apocalypto. The wrath of God has been manifest from heaven against all unrighteousness. And we saw that last week as he talks about how is it manifest. And so, how is it manifest now? Not just some future judgment, but there's a wrath of God that's being manifest now. And what Paul says in these verses that follow is, by God turning man over to their sin. Those who are suppressing the knowledge of God in their sin, because what can be known about God is available to them. But what they choose to do because of their sin is to suppress it, is to keep that knowledge down willfully. So that what has occurred is now the wrath of God is being manifest by people being turned over to their sin. So as we see in the world, in this country, uh, wherever you you go, that sin increasing, uh, more and more people um, identifying with their sin, whatever it may be. I am this or I am that. And you're talking about sinful categories. Then that's a, a that is a manifestation of the wrath of God being poured out on a people is a judgment of God. And so what the church is called to do in the midst of that is preach the gospel because that's the only power of God into salvation. If you want to see a reversal of this, if you want to see a lessening of this turning over to sin. Um, then we need to really be preaching gospel. We need to identify our lives with, we need to adorn our lives with good works so that the world can see us and say, you know, ask me questions. Where do you get your peace? How do you deal with this? You know, what do you mean by these things? And so that we're able to give an answer for the hope that is within us because the world is being turned over to and, and given up to their sin. But if we aren't to judge or discern sin at all, 
and we have a very difficult time in doing anything. So obviously, something's going on here. It's a little bit different. In verse 29 in chapter 1, it says um, that these people that were, well, 28, and since they didn't see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. And then he just lists these things. Evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know their God's de- righteous decrees that they who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they approve uh, to the, they give approval to those who practice them. So we know that life is available in faith, but those who do these sins deserve death and so people get that in some way and the more they understand it these sinners that are being pulled over to it are even because if you can't see it everywhere then you're, you're just good for you you're you're you got your eyes closed a little bit <laughs> what's going on i guess it's not good uh, approving of evil the promotion of evil we talked about that just a little bit but this is where death comes from the wages of sin is death so they not only do them, but they give approval to them. So there's this willful, willful suppression of the knowledge of God by non-believers, which can only be overcome by the power of the gospel. But while they seek to suppress the knowledge of God, they still see the reality of judgment of their sin. So then we get to chapter 1, I mean verse 1 in chapter 2. Therefore, you have no excuse. Okay, so we want to talk about that, but if you go back again... Because we've heard this before, chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So because God has been revealed in creation and people are suppressing that knowledge of God in their sin, they are without excuse because God has made these things known. So now in chapter 2 he's saying, therefore you have no excuse, O man. He's using this uh, literary device to talk about this other guy. And we're all supposed to sort of identify, is he talking about me? And we have to ask in ourselves is he therefore you have no excuse every one of you who judges all right so everybody's without excuse if you're suppressing a knowledge of god you say there's no god creation shows that there's a god but now if you are somebody who judges now what does that mean in this particular um, verse right here and what it's talking about is we just saw this list of people who are um, unrighteous Evil, covetous, malicious, murder, strife. And so uh, there may be many non-believers who would say there should be no rules. There should be no morality. I mean, it's like not many non-believers would say that, but it's possible. But that tends to end at the point of your nose. So is it okay to hit somebody? I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. We'll hit them. And they will protest. Um, Steal their... Whatever, steal their car, steal their seat. You know, I don't believe in property. Anybody can have anything. Oh, yeah? You know, I mean, when you sin against a person, suddenly they judge. And they would judge you. And also, if you're judging somebody and they tell you you're not supposed to judge, have they not also just passed judgment on you? I mean, yeah, I think 
about the logic of this. You're not, but they might say, well, I'm not a Christian. Okay, that's fine, fair enough, but you do judge evil. And so what the Lord is saying here, since you're able to judge evil, you recognize that there is evil. You recognize there's right and wrong. Good. That has been put there by God. You even have a conscience. Or you might even judge, a non-believer might even judge themselves. They might, sometimes they judge themselves to be terrible. And it's like, again, you are recognizing that there is a standard. From somewhere, you're getting this idea, there is a right and there is a wrong. And you're judging it. You're saying it's wrong. And then what he says is, so you're without excuse. How is that? Because in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. So for the non-believer to say there is wrong in the world and it ought to be punished, then they need to be able to shine that light on themselves and say, well, you do wrong in the world and therefore you ought to be punished. And you know that's true because you judge other people yourself. And while you only reason you're telling Christians not to judge is because you want to be able to get away with doing things that you know are wrong too. You want to convince people that the thing that you do wrong is actually good, is actually right. Because that's just the way sin works. But this is what Paul is saying here is anytime a non-believer passes any kind of a moral judgment, they're condemning themselves because they too have moral sins. And it, you know, it doesn't take much for that to to come out. And so the one who is without excuse is every one of you who judges. Now we have to turn that also to us as a church and say, are we, we must be careful about the same thing. And so I was, let's, let's turn together to second Samuel chapter 12, because this is probably um, the best. If you can't find second Samuel, I'm going to read it, but you can use table of contents or something. But second Samuel chapter 12 is a really good Old Testament example of this working itself out with David, King David, who is, you might know the story, he has um, had a, a, he got Bathsheba pregnant and his, her husband's going home from um, the war and he tries to set things up so that it looks like the baby is Uriah's and instead David has Uriah killed. Um, so, you know, he's trying to hide his sin, he's trying to cover his sin up. He thinks he's gotten away with it. And so there's been no judgment. Got it. Let's move forward with life. And so verse 12, the Lord sent Nathan to David. He's a prophet of God. And he came to him and he said to him, uh, there are two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had brought, which he had bought. And he brought it up. And it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now, I know Amy's mom used to hate it when people called their, uh, their dogs and cats their little fur babies. Or like they treat them like they're their children. It's like, that's what this guy did. He's got a little lamb. He's, like, he's named it. You know, it's like it's his own daughter. Then there came a traveler. To the rich. Now, there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. He took it, cooked it up, fed it to this. He's a rich man. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, as Yahweh lives, the man who did this deserves to die. 
And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing. And because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. And gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. And have taken his wife to be your wife. And have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore, and he pronounces judgment. And that's what you see. Here's David. Took a little sin detour. Got it all fixed up. I got that. Now let's get back to life. But God says, if we're going forward, if you're going forward with me, we're going to have to go back to here. And while you can't change it and you can't fix a lot of it, you will have to deal with God with it. This is what you have to recognize is and confess is your sin in this. And so as David thinks he has everything, it's like he's presented with this scenario that's terrible. And he says, that's awful. So you can do this with non-believers too. I mean, there's, there's stuff, you, you know, go on Facebook, Twitter, whatever things you do, or just listen to people or whatever. They, they, they are really... Ask them what they think about Donald Trump. Woo! Then you get some, you know, or ask them what they think about, you know, Joe Biden. Ask them what they think about some political figure or what's going on in the Ukraine. Or it's something. They are going to spew judgment and hatred. And so what God is saying to these people, and if we do it ourselves, you have to be careful. It's like, you're judging in that way. So don't think that there's no judgment for your sin. And this is what Paul's getting at is, David, you think that deserves Punishment, And yet, you think your sin does not. That was the problem. And that's what we have to be very careful of, is that as we look at a list of sins, and particularly before that, there's great detail about homosexuality being an abomination to the Lord, and that people are being turned over to sin and these things, and um, we have to be able to call sin, sin, and all this stuff. But at the same time, how are you, judgmentalism is a little bit different than being able to discern and judge whether something is right or wrong. So be careful when you are judging other people that you also recognize the fact that you have sin, which if God were to deal with in his holiness, would also condemn you. Now, Shorter Catechism, question number 82, are all sins equal in the eyes of God? No, some sins are worse than other sins in the eyes of God. So there are, and the Bible talks about sexual sins being different than other kinds of sins because other kinds of sins can be outside of your body, but sexual sins are, are done inside your body. It's done, it's different. It affects you in different ways. And so we have to be careful with these two, but there's forgiveness and there's the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And so what we have to be careful about is saying, you know, inside the church, I'm a believer. Because Paul's going to give the Jews a hard time about this. You, know, you think because you're a Jew, you think because you've been circumcised, you think because you have the temple, you think because you're in this covenant relationship as God's chosen people, that God's not going to judge you. And all you do is judge these Gentiles. 
So the church can do the same thing because now we are God's chosen people. We are in covenant with God. We are blessed by God. We, we've been baptized. We take the Lord's Supper. We're, we're covered by his grace and mercy. So therefore, what a church can do is suddenly see ourselves as righteous, self-righteous, and everybody else out there as totally horrific and awful. And we hate them and despise them and we'll do what we can to try to um, win them to the gospel. So you got to be careful of that because there's this, God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And so we're going to look at three verses real quick that talk about how the Christian is to judge, what, how that looks and how that works. But it begins, well, we're going to see it. So the first, Matthew chapter 7, so just kind of leave your place here in, in Romans, Matthew 7, um, beginning in verse 1, so first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, so Jesus is speaking. He says, um, judge not, there it is, judge not that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck, and that's where this comes in, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a, I want to say, big old log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now notice, we are concerned about a brother specking his eye. And here's the thing about a speck in your eye. Those things hurt. <laughs> it's not like... I don't have a log, I got a speck. It's like, yeah, but you are around, you know, trying to say, the point being, you know, you've seen this little thing that somebody's done, and you're all over it. And you've got this big old thing sticking out there for everybody to see. Nobody can even see the speck. They see the speck. That's, that's hypocritical. That's what you're not supposed to do. Examine yourself. Make sure you're not the guy with the big log. Now, if you see some guy with a big log sticking out his, you know, somebody needs to say something to that fellow. I hope you understand. <laughs> Do you not realize you got a great big old log sticking out of your eye? And a lot of guys don't. A lot of women don't. I mean, you know, metaphorically, surely you do. But you see people with some glaring, something that's just wrong, and nobody will say anything to them. Why? Well, you shouldn't judge. That's not what this says. It says if you're the one with that log, you be careful about being so judgmental about other people. And then he says, verse 6, Don't give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, Lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Wait a minute. How am I supposed to figure out what's holy? Who is a dog? And there's people that are pigs. I'm supposed to be going around saying, I'm not. It's calling for judgment. This is what he's doing right here. He's calling for this type of judgment. A discernment, an idea. It's like you have to be careful about giving all these wonderful things to people who are just trampling underfoot and they don't care about it at all. So um, he's, he's talking about the Pharisees in particular and they're being very judgmental about every little thing and they don't recognize the fact they don't even have God. And so what happens to that kind of person, if people, well, we'll continue with it. Galatians chapter 6 is the second passage. So that's you know, the Romans and Acts and then you get into these other letters of Paul. Um, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians are all together. So Galatians chapter 6. And this is talking to believers. It says brothers at the beginning, meaning 
believers, brothers and sisters, it's included in this. So Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression. All right, so that requires a little bit of judgment, a little bit of discernment. There's a transgression. How do you know what something's been crossed over that there's been a transgression? And it's by the word of God, which is another important thing about Christian judgment is it has to be according to the word of God. So you might have things that you believe are sinful, but you have to show it from the scripture. And so that's the only thing that a Christian should be. There may be things that are not wise, but is it, does the Bible say you can't do it? Is that really a sin? And so if somebody is caught in a transgression of sin, they've done something wrong, then you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So what's happening is here. It's like, okay, first, make sure you're a believer. And this is done in, a, in the spirit of you know, spiritual, meaning you understand the things of the Lord. You understand the Bible. The Holy Spirit's operating in and through you with this. But the purpose of this for a brother is restoration. That's why you would say something to a brother who's called in sin, to restore the person. Now, there are lots of people in the church who will say something to people in the church because they don't like something about what they do. And then they're always critical about this or about that. You know, you dress like this or you do that or you walk like this or don't touch that or don't touch that. You know, all these things. Um, the example that always comes to my mind is when my son, I always say it was Ian, could have well been Chandler, I guess. But they were playing, they were playing with the um, wheelchair at the church. Not here, another church. <laughs> they were playing with the wheelchair. Just in it. wasn't like they kicked some woman out of it or something. It was just an extra wheelchair, and they're playing that. And this guy goes up to him and says, "Get out of that wheelchair!" You're not speaking. I mean, just very harshly and critically, and kind of made him cry. And they backed up and got out of it. And it's like, one, you can say that without saying it like that. Two, have you ever spoken to my children about anything else? No. They just saw some child playing with something. They didn't like it. Out of a harsh and critical spirit, they decided they were going to go up and attack my child for doing this thing. I'm sure I handled it quite lovely. I don't remember what happened after that. I'm still talking about it. <laughs> it's just a good example to me, though. And I'm like, come on. I mean, that's, we can't be like that. If, if you see somebody at Walmart that's doing something and they're about, a child's about to pull a TV down on themselves, intervene. But, you know, but don't walk around Walmart or the church or anywhere else just being critical and attacking people. If that's your spirit, I just would beg you, please, and I'll use this word, shut up. Keep it to yourself. Um, figure out what's going on in your life and why you're such a miserable slob that's making everybody else around you miserable and you're hurting the cause of Christ. So figure out how do you love that guy that's like that. That's the trick. We got that guy and we got to love him. And that's on us. Keep watch on yourself is what it says next. So you restored somebody, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. So you have to recognize your weakness. You have to recognize that if God were to one day in heaven or sometime today say, John, oh, that's not how God talks, I'm sure. <laughs> John, remember that guy that did this thing and how mad it made you? Let me show you a few things you've done in your life that were kind of worse than that. And let me show you. I was like, no, I don't want to do it. 
I forgive him. It's fine. It's as if it never happened. I'm sure he's a wonderful guy and we got through this together. You know, that's what you got to be able to do. You got to be able to say, all right, what if God is as judgmental on you as you are to other people with the standard you use? That's the standard that's going to be used on you. That's scary. So we want to make sure, you know, thank God for his grace where these things are also covered. But we have to keep watch on ourselves as we be tempted. Bear one another's burdens so that you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. For each has to bear his own load. So figure out what these things mean. But it's this self-examination and being careful. To recognize how far short we fall. For all could sin and fall short of the glory of God. Last one. John chapter 7 verse 19. Gospel of John. Chapter 7. Verse 19. Um, Jesus has healed a guy on the Sabbath. People are upset about it. And um, verse 19, Jesus is answering them. He says, has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. This <laughs> is kind of interesting. Jesus had a way of saying things. Uh, Why do you seek to kill me? And the crowd answered, you have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? And Jesus answered them, I did one work. And you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And so here Jesus is not saying, don't judge. Y'all need to step off. We judging. That's not what he says. He's like, you're not judging rightly. You're judging by appearances. You've got something going on superficially. You're not thinking spiritually. You've got people that are leading you into this. You've got something you have against me. You've got something that's going on in your life. And you see me doing something that's pure and good and wonderful. And you're going to judge me for it. Judge with right judgment. Righteous judgment. So as the church, you are called to judge. But you need to make sure it's right judgment. And so that's what these things are about. But back to Paul's main point in Romans chapter 2. The non-believers who pass judgment on sin and then judges proving that they are without excuse because they too are guilty. Again, Romans 2 verse 2. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things that are in this list of of bad things. Do you suppose, and that, even that's talking about, you know, you can judge that God's righteous judgment falls on these. So this is the judgment that we're able to make. Do you suppose, a oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet you do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? So this is what the non believer and a believer has to be thinking about too. If you're stuck in sin, you're trapped in sin, you're committing some sin that you just, you know, you're not willing to. Uh, turn over to God you're, you're, you're greatly struggling with we have to ask ourselves um, and non-believers should ask themselves it should make all of us say can I escape the judgment of the holy God 
can I escape the judgment of a holy God? If you just judge just purely on your own, let's just say there's no Jesus covering your sin, then what? And then you've got to ask yourself, as we'll do in a minute, about this escaping judgment. Because only Jesus can save you as he's offered to us in the gospel. So secondly, do you, O judge, think you will escape judgment? And so why? Why would a person think they'd escape judgment? And so one is there's been no sign of judgment yet. I'm doing all right. Um, two, I'm better than all these other guys. They judge me. You know, I'm doing better than most. Or third, I just don't believe in any of it. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in judgment. But you got to be careful because just because you don't believe in something doesn't mean it's not true. Um, scientists before Louis Pasteur did not believe in germs. You mean we got little animals running around that you can't even see? That's ridiculous craziness. And yet they still killed people by not washing their instruments in their hands before they did surgeries and things. Just a lack of belief in germs didn't make them not true. Gravity doesn't care whether you believe it or not. You jump off a cliff, you're going down. And perhaps you even may believe that you're too lost to be saved. I'm too bad. And that's Satan talk. No one's sin is greater than the than God's sacrifice for that sin. No one's sin is greater than God's sacrifice for that sin. But if the wages of sin is death, and if those who sin deserve to die, you should be asking, people should ask themselves, why are you still here? Why am I still here? So third, is the riches of God's kindness. So in verse 4, is you think you're going to escape judgment of God? In verse 4, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? So that word riches, he's using it for all these words. The riches of his kindness. The riches of his forbearance. In other words, he's putting up with you. The riches of his, of his patience. And I like the, the King James, the long-suffering of God. So if you're patient, it doesn't mean it doesn't bother you. What it means is that uh, you can suffer a long time. You know, you, there's this long-suffering that God is putting up with you. God is forbearing. He's backing off for a bit. God is patient with you. And you think that means God's not going to judge you? You think that means God's happy with you because you haven't been judged? And what he says is... Um, that you do not know, you're not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Now, the Greek word there for not knowing means a willful not knowing. Like you intentionally make yourself not know. You're willfully ignorant. It's wishful thinking that you're intentionally doing in order to that not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God is being patient with you because he wants you to change. God is giving you time to turn to him. God is laying off of you. So we had to think, you know, with, with people sometimes we do this. It's like if you just immediately punish somebody for everything they did wrong. It's like if you have somebody who's working for you or you have a child or something like that. You have to, sometimes you have to be patient with these people. Sometimes you have to, you know, be a little bit of forbearance. You know, trying to be, it doesn't mean you overlook it. That means you don't say anything about it. But it just means you got to let people take the time. I hate to go to a place where there's a new guy working and they're just being impatient with him. 
you know, either the people that are there being served or the people that are there in charge of him. Because I know it's like, I'm that guy. I know if I were here working, it'd take me a long time to figure out how to do this stuff. I don't want somebody, it only makes it worse when somebody's behind you going, what are you doing? You know, it's like, that's not helping. And so God is kind to us. God is patient with us. God is forbearing with us. He has these riches of this stuff that, that he's giving us. Um, and I, I make, got this quote from one of the books I was reading. I'm sorry, I forgot which book it was. But he says, don't mistake the mercy that suspends judgment in the interest of salvation for moral indifference to sin. So don't mistake mercy that's holding off a judgment as God saying, I don't care. Is I'm morally indifferent to it. And then Ecclesiastes 8.13 says this. Because the sentence against <clears throat> because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. So just because you God doesn't execute judgment immediately, then what people do is in their sin is they just say, I'm just gonna keep on doing evil then. Because I'm not punished for it. I'll just keep right on doing what I'm doing. But it's like this patience is so that you might be led to repentance. If God dealt with us as our sin deserves, none of us will be here. We'd all be dead. Adam and Eve would have been it. There's nothing else. So this rest of this is all mercy and grace leading to repentance. But it's the gospel, which is this power of God unto salvation. So that what Paul is setting up for us in Romans is... Why is the gospel this power? How sinful are people? How it is manifested? What can be known? Why is God so judgmental? <laughs> Why is God so wrathful over sin? And it's because you're without excuse. Sinners are without excuse. So third is this, the riches of God's kindness are being uh, overlooked. And then fourth, instead of having the riches of God... You're storing up wrath. And that word storing up means it's what you're storing up goods and things. So, so instead of God's riches, you're getting the riches. You're storing up your own riches, which is God's wrath. So in verse 5, because of your hard and impenitent heart. So you're not repentant or anything. But it's because of your heart, what you are doing when you aren't repenting, when you aren't allowing God's patience and kindness and mercy and grace to be uh, to do its work on you, then you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be apocalypto. It will be manifest. So you, the righteousness of God that's manifest in the gospel to people, they're believing, they have faith. You have the wrath of God that's been manifest in the world as people are being turned over to their sin. And you can see it. But there's going to be a day when the judgment of God will be manifest. And what Paul is saying here is you need to be aware of this. And what you were doing is you were just storing up wrath for the day of wrath. Now, why is Paul writing this? Because his ministry is not to condemn, but to save. Remember, this is what Paul's writing all this for. Not because he wants people to know how bad they are, but he does want you to know how bad you are. But why does he want you to know how bad you are? So you can be saved. Your amen to the sinfulness of other sinners. Like when you say, yep, they're bad. Amen. They're awful. That amen stands against you. All who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we have to say, where's your boasting? Your righteousness, apart from Christ, is 
filthy rags. Your righteousness, apart from Christ, is filthy rags. And in his wrath, he will not just judge other sinners, but he will judge you too. So Paul is persuading us to look at ourselves, and he's pleading with us, and logically arguing with us to see that we need a Savior. You need a Savior. And we have this Savior in Christ Jesus for all who believe and trust in Him and His righteousness for you. His death for you. His life for you. You have but to believe and call on His name, turn from your sin, and follow Him. There is a blessedness That's present in the revelation of your wretchedness. I just like that word, wretched. There is a blessedness that is present in the revelation of your wretchedness. It indeed is your righteousness that keeps you from being able to see the goodness of God for you. God says, Jesus said, I did not come to save the righteous, but it is the sinner, the sick who need a doctor. Who are righteous? No, not one. Go take a poll and find out who's righteous. At least I'm not like those guys. Your righteousness can keep you from seeing the goodness of God in Christ Jesus. I mean, Romans 2, 2 and 3. Look at it again. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you not suppose, O man, you who judge, who practice such things and yet do them yourself, will escape the judgment of God? So we have to quote Jack Miller. Cheer up. And this is speaking to the believer. Cheer up. You are a lot worse than you think you are. And you have to let that sink in a bit. You think you're bad? You think you kind of get your sin? No, you don't. No, I don't. You're worse than you think you are. But God's grace is far greater than you can ever imagine. But if you think you're only this bad, then God's grace has to be at least this good. But if you understand that you're, you know, not sure. This bad. I'm going this way now. If you're this bad, then God's grace needs to be at least here. Like the problem is, you have a low understanding of the grace of God because you have such a low understanding of how sinful your sinfulness is. And so, the more you recognize the, how terrible, how wretched, how sinful you are—not compared to whoever it is you want to compare yourself to, because you're going to pick somebody worse than you—but to the holy God of the universe, who, while we were yet sinners, came for the ungodly and died for us. <coughs> Then we begin to understand a little bit about the gospel. But perhaps you say, I know I'm a sinner, but I know I'm a Christian and God must forgive me. So I would just say to this, oh, Christian, I hope you're right. Not that God's grace isn't for the believer, but that you indeed are in Christ. If you're using that excuse as a thinly veiled excuse for sin, if you're using God's grace the Bible says, is a thinly veiled excuse for sin. I can get away with this because of Christ. I can do what I want to do because of Christ. I can be like this because of Christ. And here's the problem with that. There's so much truth in that. But the problem with that is, that's not the attitude of a believer. David was like that. 
And then here comes the prophet Nathan. Hey, what you going to do about this man that came and killed the little, the, the little lamb? He fed the little lamb, the baby lamb, the, the daughter to the, What do you do? He deserves to die. You're the man, David. you got to recognize. Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. You have to recognize your sinfulness. You did it. And I don't care what you've done in your life. Because if you think those things you've done are what make you so bad, you don't get it. Because you did bad things because there's a bad root that's far worse. And the only reason you didn't do worse than you did is the grace of God. The only reason a non-believer doesn't do worse is the grace of God. Common grace in this world, a restraining influence of the Holy Spirit. The fact that he's given us laws and governments to restrain evil. Why do you have locks? Because of sin. I mean, that's the whole deal with it. There's sin in the world. There's sin in us. We need Jesus Christ more than we can possibly imagine. And the other problem about you holding on to your sin, us holding on to our sin, is because sin can cause doubt. Your sin can be a snare of Satan, a stumbling block to you and others. So look at your sin. Name it. Don't claim it. Plead with the Lord to remove it. And yet, we will all have a lifelong struggle with sin. There will be some sins that you will struggle with for the rest of your life. To our shame. But you do not say, I get away with it because of God. You say, God, I, I believe, help my unbelief. Thank you for, I looked at my baptism, you've washed me with my sin. A believer wants to be released from their sin. Most of the time. I mean, there's, if we really want to be released from our sin, we'd be released from it. But that's not true either because we only listen to ourselves. How many of you have ever eaten something right after telling yourself, don't eat another bite? <laughs> and my, my favorite example to myself is running. I was running a while back and just running, 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 in a blazing speed of light. And I was running, running, running. And I'm like, I'm getting tired. I need to stop. Nope, I'm not stopping. I'm going to keep going. Uh-uh. Go, 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 go. I'm going to run. Keep going. I'm, I'm not going to stop. Well, I guess we're stopping. <laughs> I just stopped. I did not desire to stop. I just stopped. And there's things that we do. You don't, you know, I'm going to start exercising. No, you're not. I'm going to, I'm going to make New Year's resolutions. Yeah, you are. You're going to keep them? No. You know, it's like you don't do the things you want to do. So what we have to be careful with this is to recognize the fact that we plead on the mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he does in our lives is, as he feeds us himself, he gives us himself, is there is a dying to sin and a living to righteousness. There is in our sin an understanding of that it's worse than I thought it was. But your grace is greater than I thought. And there needs to be a quickness to confess it to one another. And especially to ourselves. And to recognize how far short we fall. But we have to recognize these things. That sin should not have mastery over us. And as we continue to fight the good fight of faith. We have to recognize we are not alone. Christ is with us and for us. Church is with you and for you. Don't abandon Christ and his church even a little. For the grace of God is revealed in the gospel of God. And we are not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God and the salvation for everyone who believes. So we pray, O oh Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Let's pray. Father God, <clears throat> by thy great mercy... If not for your great mercy, we could not stand here. For sin. 
with control. So we thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word. And we pray that you would continue to make us more Christ-like in the way that we deal with those who have sinned against us. We'd be more Christ-like in the way that we, um, that we we'd recognize the goodness of Christ for us too. We pray that you would help us to be better people for we can be, especially because of your spirit. We would pray that you would help us to know that it's not by works, but by faith, lest anyone should boast, that we would cling to your gospel hope, and that we would be able to make the world a little bit brighter, at least we wouldn't make it worse, and that by your grace and mercy, we all know that we sit at the feet of a good God who loves us and one day will remove all sin from us, transform us into your likeness so we might see you face to face and be without sin. Every tear wiped from every eye. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.